0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to Trashy Divorces. I'm Alicia. My name is Stacy. Thanks for joining us today. We have two piping hot new Trashy Divorces for you. They're actually, they're not even piping hot, are they?
1: They're not even trashy, but we got two <laughs> ladies that ain't nothing gonna break their stride. True story. Who do you have for us this week, Alicia? This week, I am bringing y'all the life and legend that was Babe Paley. She has come up in so many Trashy Divorces and done and done stories. It was finally time to bring her story into the light over here on the main feed. And Stacy, this week, I think you fell a little bit in love with I your profile. I did. Um, I am profiling actress
0: Niecy Nash, who is just a delightful human who is having a splendid career and life. And instead of focusing on what's terrible this week,
1: I decided to just pen an appreciation letter. <laughs> I love it. Hey, I got an appreciation letter in the form of this magic mirror. Really. To give thanks and praise to our newest supporters over at patreon.com/slash trashydivorces. Thanks for joining us, Stacy Lauren F, Zeph Moon Garden. Always so good to see y'all. We've also had some upgrades. I wanted to give a shout out to Inbay, Simone, Danica, Jody, Winston, Kirsten, Susan, Bree, Jamie, and Emily. Thanks y'all so much. We have three new super supporters as well: Jennifer C, Kim S, and Ashley C. Holy cats! We are so grateful to all of you, our Patreon community, as well as you for coming back and tuning in to listen to this Sunday episode. If nothing's gonna break our stride, Stacy, what do you think we gotta we gotta do around here? We should probably go, go, go.
0: So Alicia, today you're shining a spotlight on someone who has been sort of tangentially connected to
1: so many like
0: dozens of your other stories.
1: Dozens and dozens. We Fi- finally, gets her her time in the sun. We have mentioned Barbara Cushing, Mortimer Paley, Babe Paley, Babe Paley, Babe Paley in. Half a dozen stories, even just recently in Tinsley Mortimer. Mm-hmm. She was mentioned on Done and Done. Mm-hmm. She's everywhere. It's right. time to give Babe a little, right. a little love. One of Truman Capote's swans, the, the rich, beautiful women that he... I'm glad you mentioned that. This story has everything. It's got high society names. It has some Truman Capote. It's got a lot of marriages, a lot of divorces. Mid-century modern. Holy cats. There's a lot going on. Uh, nothing breaks Babe Paley's stride. Let's get into it. Okay. Barbara Babe, Cushing Mortimer Paley, just really started out as Barbara Cushing. Uh, <laughs> July 5th, 1915. Barbara is the youngest child born to Kate and Harvey Cushing from Boston, Massachusetts. Now, Babe's father, Harvey, is an early pioneer of brain surgery. Wow. Uh Uh-huh. Wow. Mm -hmm. 1915.
0: Wow. Okay. Early. That's when she was born. She was not the first.
1: But, okay, but hold on. Kate Crowell, Barbara's mother, Mm -hmm. originally from Cleveland, from a very affluent family in Cleveland, waits 10 years to marry Harvey. While he finishes all of his neurosurgeon studies and builds a practice, she holds on to wait for that husband for 10 years before she gets him.
0: Okay.
1: Harvey and Kate get married. Once they're married, Harvey's rarely home. He's out Sure. And Mama <laughs> Kate will make it her goal to make a home and family, this model of perfection for Harvey, so he can show them off to the outside world. It's very much presentation. Okay. Five children follow for Kate and Harvey. <laughs> Clearly made it home sometimes. But these three girls... Are the stars. They are known as the Cushing sisters in the press. Hmm. Oh, baby. They were raised to make really good marriages and be ideal trophy wives. Hmm. Their mother, Kate, who they all call Gogsy, will not be disappointed often in their lives. Holy cats. Because I'm going to be providing updates in the story where those marriages happen because the Cushing sisters are legendary. Legends. Babe is unquestionably the most beautiful of the Cushing sisters. She has a warm and generous nature, but Babe is not her mother's favorite. Betsy, the middle daughter, is her mother's favorite. She's most like Kate, mom, and the most obedient Betsy is to her mother's plans. Therefore, naturally, sure, I'm in the middle of my mother's heart. Right. Now, while all three sisters stay close throughout their lives, Babe and the oldest daughter, Mary, who goes by Minnie, have a very close bond. 1930 is a banner year for one of the Cushing sisters. Wedding alert, Betsy is going to be the first to marry. And she does not go small on this one. Betsy will wed for her first time to James Roosevelt, Jimmy, Jimmy the son of FDR. Wow. While FDR was still then governor of New York, this is 1930, he has not yet assumed the presidency. Sure. But, you know, connected. All right. Oh, yeah, connected. If Eleanor is ever away from the White House, Betsy Cushing Roosevelt stands in to host for Eleanor. She is FDR's favorite. Okay. But what's happening with Babe? Because this story is about Babe. Babe is going to graduate from Westover School in Connecticut in 1933, and she'll make her official debut into society the next year. Now, with her respected family, the Cushing family, my father's a brain surgeon, Babe is a knockout, and she's also very kind. Of course, Babe is expected to have her pick of the marriage market. One of Babe's good friends growing up, Marietta Peabody Tree, said of Babe, she was the most glamorous of my generation, but she was terribly nice too to younger, awkward, shy girls like myself. Let me fix your shoulder strap, she would say. Hmm. Babe is just not, she's a nice girl. But Babe thoroughly enjoys making the rounds of coming out parties in Boston and in New York. And in early 1934, while riding home from a Long Island party with friends, Babe is in a serious car accident. Oh no. Mm-hmm. She's seriously injured And her beautiful face is nearly destroyed. Wow. Her injuries will render her unrecognizable and all of her teeth are knocked out. Oh, God. Naturally, Kate, Gogsy, mom, is dismayed by the thought that babe is going to lose the thing she's got, which is her beauty. Daddy Harvey jumps into action and calls upon every medical connection he has to arrange months of reconstructive surgeries for his daughter. When it was all over, Babe emerges as stunning as ever, although she would have to wear false teeth for the rest of her life. Just it's so
0: surprising that surgical interventions were effective at the
1: time. That's
0: it's remarkable. Incredible. Yeah.
1: yeah. So although Babe had two wonderfully successful debutante seasons, she's not exactly a willing partner in her mother's plans quite yet. She gets a lot of proposals from many an eligible bachelor who will pursue her, but she won't accept any of them. Instead, she's going to move to New York and get a job at Glamour Magazine and eventually become a fashion editor at Vogue. <laughs> this is sort of uh, Jackie Kennedy, right? Eh, a little. little. A little. So Mama Kate is naturally concerned about Babe. She's approaching... The ripe old age of 25, Oh, Stacy, sp- spinsters. And she's still unmarried.
0: Wow. Terrible, terrible. Just get the
1: poor woman a loom. What, what, <laughs> well, more troubling to Mama Kate Gogsy is that Babe is far more interested in her career as a fashion editor. How dare you. Than in making a suitable marriage to a wealthy <laughs> and hopefully aristocratic man mm-hmm. so during this time one of the burdens a family member who again intermarrying babe's oldest daughter will marry into the burden family will say that babe lived at the saint regis occasionally while working at vogue she lived with russian-american socialite Sergei oblinsky quite openly when asked how the cushing family permitted this behavior this family member said Morality is for the middle classes.
0: Yes, as it
1: ever was, yeah. Conde Nast himself hires Babe. In those days when a young, bright socialite doesn't really know what to do with herself before marriage, Conde Nast sort of becomes a finishing school for them. During this time, Babe is going to befriend many powerful and glamorous women. Diana Vreeland, Susan Mary Alsop, Millicent Fenwick, Connie Bradley... Muriel Maxwell, Sally Kirkland, these wealthy debutantes work for almost nothing, which isn't a problem because everybody's wealthy. They work for the glamour, the connections with fabulous people, beautiful clothing, getting into amazing social functions. I want to get us to the end of the 1930s now because Mama Kate just is not happy. (laughs) (laughs) Betsy and Jimmy have divorced. Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's terrible. In the late 1930s, Minnie is not married, Babe is not married, and Betsy, Betsy has divorced. divorced. Don't worry. Betsy's going to get married again in 1942 to John Hay Whitney of those Whitney's. Okay. Okay. Rings a bell. That name. But again, the story is about Babe, and despite loving her time at Vogue, Babe will announce her engagement on September 6, 1942. Stanley Grafton Mortimer Jr. Okay. Of those Mortimers, Mm -hmm. Stanley is a New York socialite and a grandson of one of the founders of Standard Oil. Hmm. Okay. Okay. In addition to his impeccable breeding, Stanley Mortimer is also kind of a looker. He's pretty handsome. The two, Babe and Stanley, are married September 21st, 1940. Engagement, September 6th. Marriage September 21st. Fast, fast, fast. They get married at St. Luke's Protestant Episcopal Church. The wedding is like relatively private. Babe's father had passed away before her wedding, so her brother Henry will walk her down the aisle. The reception is at Gogsy's Summer Home in East Hampton. Now when Babe throws her bouquet, her older sister Minnie catches it. And good on Minnie! Apparently it works because six days later, Minnie's getting married. Who does Minnie marry for the first time? I don't know. She marries William Vincent Astor oh. of those oh God, Astors. Okay. Now, I need you to know that William Vincent Astor and Minnie have been fooling around now for like a decade. She's been his mistress for a really long time. Hmm. William Vanderbilt Astor, though, has to divorce his lesbian wife of 25 years first. Y'all, Minnie is a whole scene, but just a quick bit here. Minnie and William Vanderbilt Astor, like the heir to a $200 million fortune, will get married six days after Babe and Stanley Mortimer. They will divorce in 1953. But in order for Minnie to get her divorce from William Vincent Astor, he's like, I need you to find me a new wife before I'll let you divorce me. Okay. 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 So she does. And that new wife is Brooke Astor, legendary socialite and future profile of A Done and Done Episode. Okay. Everything is connected. It's spiderwebs. So while Babe's new husband, Stanley Mortimer, okay, comes from the most exclusive WASP old money pedigrees, much of his inheritance and wealth is in trust funds, which permitted allowances You go and get a certain amount of money every year, and then you're tapped out. And the trust fund will allow for a nice married life. It's comfortable, but it's not quite the level of extravagance that Babe or Mama Kate had anticipated. However, standard oil name and money, the Mortimer family have a lot of prestige. They have a lot of social standing, which makes up for the not quite so excessive wealth. Stanley and Babe frequently visit the Mortimer family at their Tuxedo Park estate. They'll attend elite social gatherings at the exclusive Tuxedo Club. The young married couple themselves live in a triplex Mm -hmm. apartment at 225 East 51st Street in Manhattan. Not quite the same level of luxury as Tuxedo Park, but you're still living on East 51st Street. It's not shabby. Yeah. Babe is not going to stop work, though. She'll continue to work at Vogue during the first year of the marriage. She will take a temporary leave when she becomes pregnant. Hey, it's the 40s. Stan will enlist in the Navy after the U.S. enters World War II. Mm -hmm. Stan is sent to the Naval Training Center in Pensacola, and Babe goes there to live with her husband, but she is just unable to handle the military wife lifestyle (laughs) for long. And soon will return to New York City in her way better job at Vogue. Right. After Stan completes his pilot training, he will be stationed in the South Pacific.
0: Yeah, I imagine Pensacola was not much of a place at the time. I mean, it was
1: pre-air conditioning, like the South hadn't really... It was not Babe's sort of seed Yeah. Babe will give birth to her first child in 1942, a son she names Stanley Grafton Mortimer III. The baby will be called Tony. The next year, the couple welcomes another child, a daughter this time, Amanda J. Mortimer. So, Babe has nannies. She has staff. So, Babe's still able to enjoy all of the social life and world of Manhattan, even Mm -hmm. with two kids, while her husband is in the South Pacific. Sure. She's the centerpiece of cafe society during that time. Many men will make themselves available to be her escort because, Mm -hmm. you know... Her husband's not around, and it's you can't terrible. go anywhere alone. Sure. Even before Stan comes back in 1945, Babe has already decided that mm-hmm. she would like a divorce. Yes.
0: All of the bone
1: spur-addled gentlemen of the scene. <laughs> <laughs> well, his absence had been a difficult thing for the couple to endure. Stan had also begun quite a love affair with drinking heavily. Yeah. The divorce was relatively amicable. Babe retains custody of the two kids. The Mortimer family provides a generous trust fund to care for the children. And Stan has visitation and vacation rights Mm -hmm. to the kids. He got custody of the liquor cabinet. It worked out fine. It worked out fine. I hate to tell you, this divorce is not necessarily terribly trashy. Sure. But Babe's story, legendary. So now Babe is definitely on the market for a second wealthier husband. In the meantime, she continues to work at Vogue, care for her children, and enjoy a glamorous social life. Sure. You can't have it all. Mama Kate will take on the job of hunting for a husband Mm -hmm. for Babe very, very seriously. Big game. She makes lists of potential suitors with all of their qualifications for Babe to review and study. Sure. Sure. Now, Babe is no idiot. She's very calculated about finding the next right husband to meet her needs, right? Minnie's now married to William Vincent Astor. Betsy has now remarried John Hay Whitney. Come on, the Astors and the Whitneys, two of the most wealthy and prestigious families in the country. Yeah. Now, Babe is not interested in competing with her sisters quite on this level. She wants to find a husband who has even more wealth but needs her social connections and cachet. She's looking for someone who wants to be accepted into a level of society that she can hold the key for. I'll get you in the door. Let me play with your money, which is more than my sister's husbands have. Yeah, I'll get you in the door and then you pick up the check. So she's looking for new money. William S. Paley, perfect candidate. Bill Paley has just turned CBS from a small little radio network into a powerful radio and television Hmm. network. Bill has a keen eye for spotting talent and also understanding what the American public is looking for. He's credited with making Frank Sinatra a household name, as well as creating many, many of the classic television shows of that time. Bill is enormously wealthy and powerful, But he lacks the social prestige, which is exactly what Babe can bring to him. Bill is Jewish, and that bars him Ah. from membership at many of the esteemed social clubs of New York and Long Island. Mm -hmm. Babe is one of the most glamorous and respected blue-blooded women in the country, and she's always making best dress list. right? Gogsy, less than impressed. The two are obviously having an illicit, quote-unquote, relationship because Paley's not yet divorced. Ooh. Yeah, there's a small complication. Now, he's got new money, but he's Jewish. So, Mom is like, I don't know about this. However, Minnie and Betsy tell Mama Kate exactly how much money (laughs) William Paley has, and Mama Kate will relent. In 1947, William S. Paley gives his first wife, Dorothy, $1.5 one point five million in their divorce settlement. This is about eighteen million was, in today's money. Thanks for. I was going to ask. Yeah, that divorce is prompted by the newspaper publishing a suicide note of a former girlfriend of Bill's. Oh no. Mm-hmm. But do you know that before Dorothy and Bill got married all those years ago, Dorothy was married to John Randolph Hurst, eldest son of William Randolph Hurst. I can't tell you how connected all of. These people in these families are. It's incredible. Yeah, I mean, it's the
0: royal houses of Europe, right? I mean, it's like this American set of, style. Yeah, mm-hmm. extremely privileged people seeking wealth and
1: access. You need a genealogical chart translated I'm your girl. Okay, alas, five days after the divorce of Bill and Dorothy, it is Babe and Bill getting married on July 28th, 1947 at the estate of Jock Whitney, Babe's brother-in-law, Betsy's husband. Bill and Babe will honeymoon in Europe, and when they come back, Babe will now finally quit her job at Vogue, and the couple settle into married life, continuing between their apartment in the St. Regis Hotel and Kaluna Farm in Manhasset. The couple will entertain often and extravagantly. The apartment at the St. Regis was too small to entertain, they're not going to move into their 20 room duplex on Fifth Avenue until 1965. So they instead entertain in the grand public rooms at the St. Regis just because they live there.
0: Right. Got to book a conference room for your party or something. Yeah. Okay.
1: William, Billy, known as Billy, Cushing Paley is born in 1948. Their second child, Kate, is born in 1950. But the couple spend very little time with their children. The apartment in the city that they have is too small for the kids, and even when they go to Kaluna Farm with the kids, the kids have a children's cottage, which is a five-bedroom separate house with sure. their own living, cook, yes, yeah, uh-huh. yeah. nanny, and adjoining servants' rooms. Mm-hmm.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, that's one way to raise a family: <laughs>
0: Just pay someone to do
1: it. <laughs> it's hard to say at this time when her children were young if Babe ever felt the desire to play sort of a nurturing maternal role with them, even if she had wanted to, Bill is going to put constant demands on Babe, and Babe is always going to put Bill first. Babe is a fabulous showpiece. She's a jewel. She is, I mean, come on, a purchased possession. And it's pretty clear Babe knows the arrangement. She will make the choice to trade in her free will, her choices, her preferences and voice for the lifestyle that William Paley can provide. Just as Mama Kate has done and trained her daughters to do, Babe will devote herself entirely to creating her husband's version of the perfect life. Starting in 1950, Bill Paley helpfully sets up a trust fund of CBS stock for his wife, Babe, which provides her with an annual income Just to spend on herself and her clothes, right? Right. Uh, In 1977 dollars, this trust yields 160 thousand dollars a year. Wow! So like 700 thousand dollars in today's money. Yeah, no, that's a good salary. And Babe doesn't (laughs) have to use this money on real jewelry, Mm -hmm. because Bill's gonna buy all of her real jewels. This is just like playground money, pin money. Yeah, 700 thousand dollars a year.
0: You buy a lot of pins with that.
1: Now Babe Paley does have some. Fantastic jewels. Her considerable collection of jewels are always stored in a bank vault. But when Babe decided she wanted to wear a piece from the vault, her secretary and a secretary from CBS offices meet at the bank, double up. They both sign for the jewelry. They both go back together in a CBS limousine to the Paley apartment and deliver that jewelry together. But hey, the Paley's are the most prestigious and socially desirable couple in New York City, and they work at it. They cultivate their image very, very carefully. Every summer, they will spend one month on Lowell and Gloria Guinness's yacht in Mm. the Mediterranean. Their homes are naturally decorated by Sister Parrish or Billy Baldwin or the other, whoever might be the famous designer of the day. The Paley's buy very expensive art and very expensive antiques from all corners of the world. In addition to the New York City apartment and Kaluna Farm on Manhasset, they also have a vacation home in Jamaica and a home in Squam Lake in New Hampshire. Babe is the ultimate trophy wife, and her style is imitated everywhere. Holy cats. She once gets warm on the way to lunch, so she takes her scarf, off and ties it to the side of her handbag and within a week this look is being copied across the country Hmm. babe paley is on the best dress list for 14 straight years Hmm. 13 of those she was number one on the best dress list man that other year must have been tough for her (laughs) when she was number two yeah yeah uh, babe Paley was named to Fashion's Hall of Fame in 1958. Where is the Fashion Hall of Fame? Don't it's, know. It's <laughs> Babe Paley. Go, go, go ask Babe. Okay. All right. Now, Bill Paley, just so you know, we've talked about him a little bit within the Truman Capote LeCote Basque episode. Hang on to that. But just so you know, Bill Paley's ego is enormous. His desire for control is profound, and his philandering is an open secret. Even with these things, it wasn't until Babe's illness became serious that anyone ever heard her say a critical word about her husband. Hmm. Mm-hmm. She was completely devoted to him and their image as a couple. So, Babe will have four children and two stepchildren, but by all accounts, Babe has got a distant relationship with those kids. Tony, the oldest, is her favorite, but The one she gets along with, Bill, doesn't. There's a lot of complicated matters, kind of as the kids are growing up. Again, cared for by nannies. The kids are sent to boarding schools. They don't see their parents that often. It's a fun little connection for you here, and probably one of the most difficult of Babe's relationships is with her oldest daughter, Amanda. Amanda gets older, and she's gorgeous, And after graduating, as well from Westover, Amanda will marry Shirley Carter Burden Jr., the great-great-great-grandson of Cornelius Vanderbilt. His mother was a former actress and the sister of Douglas Fairbanks Jr. Burden grows up in Beverly Hills among movie stars and their kids. He previously dated Geraldine Chaplin. So 1964 wedding, this is posh stuff. Night. Uh, Cecil Beaton takes the photographs. After the wedding, the young couple will move into their nice little apartment in New York City at the Dakota, becoming a fixture in the New York social scene. Halston, no less, will call Amanda the most beautiful girl going. And Amanda, her claim to fame, she'll knock Jacqueline Kennedy mm. off the best dress list. Well. Now, babe, not great here. It's obvious to anyone close to you, babe or Amanda, that babe is a little bit jealous. And when Amanda begins to take the spotlight away from babe, their relationship will suffer. Babe's other daughter, Kate, gosh, kind of has it worse. Bill dotes on her, but when Kate is about three, she begins losing her hair. She is eventually diagnosed with alopecia universalis which is a rare disorder causing the victim to lose their hair. It's associated with severe stress. So Babe has Kate begin to see a psychiatrist and buy her the best wigs that are available. This child not being perfect will strain Babe's relationship as well. Billy, another one of their sons, is always a misfit. He is eventually going to leave for Europe and bless his heart, develops a drug habit Tries to make movies with his friends. He will eventually get clean, buys and rebuilds an old sailboat and sails around the Florida Keys and lives off his trust fund. Hmm. Probably has the best life. Amanda, the oldest daughter, will say about the Paley home. It was a strange household, so fragmented and wacky. Our parents weren't there. And when they came, we were all clamoring for attention. There was no bonding among the kids. We were all looking out for ourselves. Just a few more little bits here because we haven't mentioned Truman Capote yet. (laughs) Babe Paley is Truman Capote's favorite swan by far. He is one of the only people that Babe truly confides in. Babe... Will keep. Ooh, that's terrible. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. <laughs> so it doesn't work out great for her. Babe will keep a lot of people at a distance. She'll maintain aloofness, but with Truman, she lets her guard down. And Truman, for his part, is in awe of everything about Babe Paley her style, her beauty, her elegance. And Truman is able to spend a lot of time with Babe. Because he's no threat to their husbands, but Truman wouldn't have been around unless he got along with their husbands too, right? Truman is openly and conspicuously homosexual in a time that isn't accepted, but that is his way of getting into the world of the Swans. Truman hangs out at the Paley's home a lot of the time. He'll go on vacation with them all the time. Truman is in. Now, the relationship between Babe and Truman Mutually beneficial. Truman shows her an intellectual world that she had not yet been a part of. She begins reading and becoming interested in other things that unto now she just didn't know existed. And Truman will become kind of a third sister for Babe. He's endlessly entertaining. He's got bitchy gossip and Mm -hmm. witty conversation. Yeah. So Babe and Truman trade Secrets. They travel together. They shop together. They gossip together. It's great. Until, dun dun dun. Mm-hmm. We all know about it. If you don't know about it, go see the episode where we talked about the nastiest work that has ever happened in fiction, Lacote Basque, 1965. Once that's published in Esquire magazine in 1975, Babe is devastated. She reads an excerpt Babe calls Slim Keith. Tells her to go get a copy of the magazine and call her back. Babe never expects this kind of level of betrayal yeah, backstabbing. from her best friend. Mm-hmm. He shared Bill Paley's affair. He, I mean, it's just gross. It's gross. And it is unclear. I know we've talked about it. I don't know if Truman thought his swans were too stupid to recognize themselves through the Romana Clay thinly veiled account. Or if you thought that they wouldn't care, but they do. There's also a theory because Babe is really, really sick and dying at the time that Truman maybe wants to get a little bit of revenge on her husband who so misused Babe for Mm -hmm. all those years. Feelings and motivations unclear, but the reaction that Truman gets is not great. Yeah. Everybody drops him. Yeah. Yeah. Save probably CZ Guest. She's the only swan that doesn't completely cut him out. But she had never confided in him, right? She Not as much as her... Babe. Yeah. Now, ironically, Babe's older sister Minnie still will see Truman socially as he's a fixture on the party scene in New York, as well as Studio 54. I can't tell you. I've got, I've got to do a follow-up on Minnie. She's a heck of a story. About... Babe Paley, Truman Capote will say, Babe Paley only had one flaw. She was perfect. <gasps> Otherwise she was perfect. Hmm. Mm-hmm. After La Cote Basque was published, Babe Paley never spoke to Truman Capote again. Even when she was in her last days, which we're about to come to, she refused to see Truman. Bill refused to speak with him as well. Yeah. I don't blame either one. Babe throughout her life was a lifelong heavy smoker, she is smoking more than two packs of l and a day, pretty much through her whole life. In January of 1974, a small tumor is discovered on one of her lungs. She undergoes surgery. The tumor is determined to be malignant, and the doctors and the Paley's are still at this point hopeful that the surgery had cured the cancer. They've got plenty of money. They have plenty of medical connections. They have access to groundbreaking medical treatments. They think Babe is going to beat the cancer. And after her initial recovery, Babe continues entertaining and keeping up with her social schedule with only one small cutback. However, in the spring of 1975, another tumor was found. There's more surgery. This time, Babe considerably slows down. She can't travel as often. She needs more rest and drastically has to cut back on her social calendar. In 1976 and early 1977, it appears as Babe's cancer has stabilized and she's in pretty good spirits. But by the fall of 76, her cancer had spread, and now everybody sort of knows Babe is dying. She will stay very glamorous, however. While spending a great deal of time in her bed, she does her makeup every single day. She wears Valentino knit loungewear. She always makes sure to have a chiffon scarf wrapped beautifully around her bald head like a turban. Now, her daughter Amanda, remember with all that jealousy back in the mid-60s and the complicated Mm -hmm. relationship, Amanda Burden will say, for a long time she didn't have the desire to see me. It's a very weird thing to have your mother not want to see you, but that changed in the last three months of her life. She waited for my visits. She would walk with me. Those moments were terrific for me. Babe's oldest son, Tony to whom she would always been the closest, would come by every morning on the way to work and stop by every evening on the way home from work. Her stepkids and her younger son, Billy, begin visiting once they realize how serious Babe's condition has grown. Everyone except for her youngest daughter, Kate. Kate told her family she'd only come visit when her mother was in her last hours. And Christmas 1977, Babe and Bill take their last vacation, She's super weak, constantly fatigued. Babe will go through her vast collection of jewelry and make a list of who gets what piece after she dies. And by early 1978, Babe's condition really had become worse. And the closer that Babe gets to death, the husband who she has supported as number one been nothing but a cheerleader and support for, now she just gets mean to She's openly hostile towards Bill. It seems that all those years of sacrificing her own will, her own ideas, her own opinions to make that perfect life for Bill, maybe get her a little bit resentful. And she's letting out a little bit of pent up frustration before she leaves this mortal coil. She'll even start calling him Paley (laughs) and not Bill. (laughs) Wow. She'll criticize them publicly. She'll call CBS and ask what that old SOB was doing. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Goodness. Uh, Let's see. By Easter of 1978, Babe can't leave her bed. She needs oxygen. Babe will ask to make one last trip to the Kaluna farm with the family. During her last week, Babe will see her family and friends. And on July 5th, Babe's 65th birthday, her youngest daughter, Kate, is called with that sad call, and Babe will wake briefly and recognize that Kate was there. And even on this last day, and with a shaky hand, Babe Paley will still put on a full face of makeup. Barbara, Babe, Cushing, Mortimer, Paley will pass away in a beautiful lace bed jacket, chiffon turban, and full face of makeup on July 6, 1978. Just a few days later, 400 mourners will pay their respects at Christ Episcopal Church in Manhasset, Shortly afterward, those mourners enjoy champagne on silver trays and Babe's favorite wine during a luncheon at Coluna Farm that Babe had perfectly planned and orchestrated in the last year of her life before her passing. Many of the high-profile socialites' mourning Babe began that very same day of her memorial service vying to be the next William S. Paley. What a prize. (laughs) And although William Paley... Will enjoy the company of many, many ladies throughout the rest of his lifetime. He even, like, is a 90-year-old, gets on the top 10 eligible bachelors in New York City. Bonzo. Bill Paley will never marry again. There is no one like Babe Paley. That's it. That's what I got. Okay. Um, I mean, what a life. What a life. What a legend. What a life. There was a lot there, but we have talked about her so much, I wanted to let Babe have a little time in the sunshine. Sounds like she earned it, put up with a lot, but also so much, but a woman, I mean, a woman in the condition of her times, mm-hmm. your whole job is to marry well. I mean, you look sure. at the, it's just incredible. The Cushing sisters and that whole marriage market for play. I don't think that's the story that you're going to be telling us when we come back from break. No, no, no. Very different. Very,
0: very different.
1: Let's do that. Let's take a quick break here from our sponsors this week. We'll see you
2: on the flip friends. If you have been thinking about your financial situation, if you've been brewing
1: questions you would like to ask a financial professional, if you would like some guidance on addressing debt, investing, or other general financial organization, then in the immortal lyrics of Amy Ray, I said it's time. Don't assume anything. Just just
0: go, 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 go to theoaktreegroup.net. There you will find the contact information for three holistic financial planners that have been working together for over 17 years. Kelly, Eileen, and Ellen will tailor a financial
1: strategy for your unique goals and circumstances. You can also give them a call at 770-319-1700 to schedule your free one-hour consultation. They would never use your years to psych you out. Again,
0: the phone number is 770-319-1700. And the website is www.theoaktreegroup.net.
1: Go, go, go. So, Stacey, you have a different kind of lady this week where nothing breaks her stride. Nothing breaks her stride. I think you fell a little bit in love this week researching her. You had a good time.
0: I've been thoroughly enjoying Well, partly because I love so many of the shows that she's in. Anyway, friends. Don't know if you've noticed, but our world is particularly trashy of late, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to untrash. I'm going to bring you the story of an actress who has been in just a ton of entirely lovable roles, but is, to my mind, criminally under-famous for the work that she has produced. She's also, lucky for us, a two-time divorcee, but lately she's been exploring new aspects of herself in a very public way. I'm talking about Nisi Nash, who first entered the public consciousness when she played Deputy Rainisha Williams on Comedy Central's send-up of the cops reality show Reno 911, which was a lot of fun. She also hosted a Style Network show called Clean House for most of the 2000s, where she would take a team in and they would, you clean know, clean your house. Well, but you're you know, these were dirty houses anyway. This was only the beginning of a career that has now stretched from reality TV into acclaimed films and has landed her in a tight orbit of some of the best film and television creators out there. So let's talk about Niecy Nash. Carol Denise Inslee was born February 23rd, 1970 in Palmdale, California, and grew up in South Central LA and Compton, like like tough areas. Her mother was well aware of the state of the neighborhood, so Nisi and her younger brother Michael were both part of the generation of kids who rode buses out to flung and I'm making air quotes with my fingers here, better schools, right. safer schools as well. When she was five, she told WBUR's Anna Sale, she decided exactly what she wanted to be when she grew up. She says, quote, When I was five years old, I was watching television with my grandmother, and I saw the most gorgeous black woman I had ever seen in my little five years of living. She had a long red dress on and her eyelashes looked like butterflies. I said, Aww. I said, Grandmama, who is that? She said, baby, that's Lola Falana. I said, oh, that's what I want to be when I grow up. I want to be black, fabulous and on TV
1: with butterflies, butterflies. on my eyes. Mm-hmm. I love it.
0: The path to achieving the dream, which she has done, by the way was not by any stretch of the imagination free of obstacles. When she was 15, she saw her mother, Margaret, shot by her abusive boyfriend.
1: Oh, my God.
0: Who was hiding inside their house. Before he turned the gun on himself, he set the house on fire while Nisi was still in it, hiding (sighs) under her mother's bed. Thankfully, she and her mother both survived. But when Nisi was 22, her family was subjected to another enduring wound, Her brother, attending that better high school in the valley, found himself constantly bullied by a group of guys there. One February day in 1993, one of those guys brought a gun to school and shot him in the chest during a morning break between classes, (sighs) killing him.
1: Oh, this is terrible. It's terrible.
0: Michael was 17. He was three months short Mm. of graduating. So Nisi, if I understand the timeline right, was on the cusp of graduating from Cal State Dominguez Hills. That is where she graduated from with a degree in theater. But she watched as her mother plunged into a bleak depression, understandably.
1: A hundred percent. This is terrible.
0: Yeah. Here's Nisi again from that Anna Sale interview. Oftentimes what happens is that the thing in your life that causes you the most pain is also the same thing that ends up bringing you so many blessings on the other side of it. Mm. And I will say that when my brother was murdered in 93, my mother went into a very severe depression. And she said, I'm getting in the bed and I'm never getting back out.
1: No, it was heartbreaking.
0: Mm-hmm. And all I knew was that I could make my mother laugh. I never realized that comedy was a gift because I always got in trouble because I got talks too much on my report card or I got pinched <laughs> for cracking jokes in church. So when my mother went into this depression, what I started to do was I would go to the foot of her bed every day and I would perform. And I would do characters. I would do voices. I would do a comedy routine. I would dance. I would sing. My mother went from laying down in the bed to sitting up in the bed. And she said, I got my peanuts and my water. Go on, do your rendition. So I just kept performing. Then one day I come and my mother's not in the bed. And I'm like, mama, where are you? She's like, we're in here. And I'm like, who is we? Who is we? (gasps) Well, I went across the street and I got the neighbors. I told them you're funny. Oh, get that karaoke mic and tell these people some jokes. And I'm like, what? So I get the microphone. I'm standing on top of the fireplace. I'm like tapping the mic. Is this thing on? How's <laughs> everybody doing in the living room? Was my first bit in front of an audience. <laughs> and I realized I, as I was standing on that fireplace that comedy was a gift. I did not know that before. And I'm not going to tell you that it healed my mother. But what I am going to say is that it kind of served as a spackle or a salve when it comes to piecemealing something back together. She had dreamed of growing up to be Cicely Tyson, of like engaging deeply in important, dramatic work. And so, you know, realizing the power of laughter... It has an amazing power, doesn't it? ...to lift someone up was, it was a thing. So um, a lot of things happened to Nisi over the next couple of years. First, she married for the first time to a pastor named Don Nash. They would be together for an important 13 years in her professional life, and also obviously her personal life. They would have three children together. One thing I can tell you is that Nisi does not trash her exes. She really never has a bad word to say about them as far as I can tell, but she still manages to be reflective about her experience of love. On Red Table Talk in 2021, she had this to say about her relationship with Don. Quote, when I married my first husband, I was looking for a savior. I had experienced a lot of childhood trauma. I won't tell you I didn't love him, but I will tell you I needed saving. I stayed in that marriage for 17 years, to a large degree in the later years, because we had a church together, and there was this weight on me. You know, you can't divorce, you are a Christian. A lot of people say I stayed for my children, but I left for my children, because I wanted them to see what
1: real love looked like. Wow, there's some threads of Amy Grant in there. A lot. Right? A lot. And From I last mean, week.
0: Many people that we've talked about, really. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Wow, that's, I mean, it's a tough
1: position to be yeah. in. But Kel- to- Kelly
0: Clarkson. Yeah. Glennon Doyle. In the same interview, she somewhat colorfully noted, <laughs> I love this. I come from a long, long line of women who felt like their identities were wrapped up in whether or not they had a man. Blind, crippled, crazy, married, or lazy, get you one and keep one. <laughs> it makes you validated to have a him. So you put a lot of stock in that. It doesn't really matter about your happiness. Thank God for therapy because we are all in it and been in it, and it's a process. <laughs> So also, you know, she, so she marries Don in 94 and in 95, she landed a small role in Boys on the Side, uh, which I, oh, that was such a good, I know I haven't, I haven't seen it since the nineties, but anyway, she cold called the casting directors. Like she, she really had trouble initially getting her foot in the door anywhere, um, so she spent the next few years doing guest spots on various network TV shows: NYPD Blue, Reba, CSI, ER. The one that she was not on was Law and Order because she's based in California. Ah, was not see. Part of, uh-huh, dun, dun. Okay. <laughs> not part of. Uh huh. Dun dun.
1: Okay. Not part of Nisi Nash's acting program like it was every other yeah. actor on the East Coast.
0: Yeah. Dick Wolf. Okay. Two, that's a because we covered him recently. That's that's what I'm referring to here. if if you're new. Uh, In 2003, she auditioned for a sketch comedy show that became Reno 911 and says this about the process. The funny thing is being from Los Angeles and the circles that I grew up in, I'd never heard of the Groundlings. I had never heard of Second City. I had never heard of improv. I didn't even know what it was. I lied my way into the audition.
1: (laughs) Good for you.
0: Yes. I said I knew how to do something before I got there. And then I called somebody and said, what do I have to do? You know, I told these people I know how to do this. What is it? (laughs) You know, and then I just showed up comfortable in my skin and just always figured if I don't know how to do something, what I do know is that I can fake it till I make it.
1: That's exactly right. That is life.
0: That is life right there.
1: In a nutshell. Mm -hmm.
0: Her character, Rainisha Williams, was the cause of some controversy during the show's run because of her, like, just absolute deadpan spoofery of every stereotype about black women. She famously wore a prosthetic butt for the role. And when Anna Sale asked if she would be open to wearing it when the series rebooted uh, for the Quibi streaming platform in 2020, I'm not even sure if Quibi is still around, but anyway, Nisi was quick to say yes in a heartbeat. Why not? They went around the room and asked each person, what does your character need? Who do you want to be? And what what can we give you to bring that character to life? And I said, baby hair and a big booty. Well... And the only reason I said that was because I wanted her body type to look like the women who raised me. I wanted them to be able to turn on TV and see themselves. And so many times, you know what I mean? You have to be super thin. You have to be like, there's a certain look you have to have in television. And when the industry found out that the booty was prosthetic, they said, oh my God, it's horrible that they made you wear that. And I was like, no, I asked if I could wear it. I asked if I could put this thing on. And they were like, wait, what? Why would you want to look bigger? And I was like, Why not? That's the bigger question. Because the question really for me, I interpreted it as why would you wanna look like people you love? What are you even talking about? I was like, Yes, I am representing for my family right now. I love her. I you did fall a I, in I love really, with her this week. I just I, I love her. I don't know if I've mentioned that this story is really just a fan appreciation for Niecy Nash. Anyway, during the run of the show, round 07, she and Don split up. But Hollywoodland was just getting started with trying to find projects to put her into. In 2008, Fox greenlit a workplace sitcom called Do Not Disturb. And while the show didn't work out, I mean, it ran, I think, 10 episodes aired. It was the rare network offering that featured a black woman in a lead role. Like, this is kind of a big deal. This is how show creator Abraham Higginbotham described Nisi to the New York Times that year, um, talking about why he had sort of built a show for her after meeting her. He says, Her voice is not on television right now. Nisi is a street chick. I wanted to show that ghetto fabulous Mary Poppins character in a world of privilege (laughs) and elitism. And spoiled twenty somethings.
1: I'm sorry. Say that again. That's fantastic. <laughs> I wanted to show that ghetto fabulous Mary Poppins character. Ghetto fabulous Mary Poppins. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Yep. So there were
0: two major events
1: in 2010. I'm sure there were more than that, but whatever.
0: She won a Daytime Emmy Award for Clean House Good for over her. on the Style Network, and in September she became engaged to an electrical engineer named Jay Tucker. Describing him as mister Wonderful, she said, He's good to me, he's good to my children, my family, he's supportive, he's loving. I wouldn't trade this one. She continued. Falling in love was the easy part. Planning a wedding? Yikes. Oh no. So TLC followed the couple as they prepared for the big oh, my. day. And when Nisi Nash's wedding bash aired in twenty eleven, It was a ratings home run, so the network offered her a reality show, Leave It to Nisi, to follow the family, her three daughters, Jay, his son, her mother, as they found their new normal in this new family structure. She says, we're not quite a blended family. We're in the blender. I just need to turn (laughs) it on.
1: (laughs) <laughs> Definitely invite a film crew to your home, though, because that really is what blends you faster.
0: Well, as she talked, yeah, so discussing the family conversations that they had before agreeing to be part of *Leva It to Nisi, she said that it was very important to like some getting some ground rules in place. It was very important to her that nothing in the show would embarrass her children. And, you know, her, her daughters are in the room, and one of them pipes up to say, basically, uh, embarrass the kids. My mom's the one who wore a fake butt on TV. <laughs> it's impossible <laughs> to embarrass her mother. <laughs>
1: <Yeah>. <laughs> the ship is long gone. Yep.
0: So uh, Leave it to Nisi only ran for one season, but at this point, her career went into overdrive. She was on The Soul Man with Cedric the Entertainer, which was a TV Land spinoff of Hot in Cleveland. Then there was HBO's truly excellent Getting On, where she played an unflappably competent nurse in a hospital's extended care unit, endlessly and hilariously taken for granted by her egomaniacal boss, played by Laurie Metcalf, and her emotionally hapless co-workers, played by Alex Borstein and Mel Rodriguez. She won two primetime Emmys. That Alex
1: Borstein is everywhere. She's great. Do you know that she's Peggy on King of the Hill? I did not know that she was. That oh. is her. Alex Borstein has right. been the voice of Peggy on King of the Hill like for the whole time. 14 years. Yes.
0: Amazing. I did not know that. Um, obviously, a great role in Mrs. Maisel and part of the.
1: We're just all kinds of connections and Spiderwebs mm-hmm. today.
0: So, yes, uh, two Primetime Emmys for getting on. Extremely well deserved. She's fantastic in it, as well as a Critics' Choice Award. Then, genuinely, big stuff followed. In 2014, she portrayed Richie Jean Jackson in Ava DuVernay's acclaimed film, Salma. She picked up a recurring gig on Mindy Kaling's The Mindy Project and was cast in Fox's Scream Queens for a couple of years. In 2017, she appeared in Rashida Jones's Florida nail salon comedy drama, Claws, on TNT and picked up a Satellite Award for Best Actress for that role. The following year, Ava Duvernay cast her again in her Netflix series When They See Us, a role that earned her an Emmy nomination.
1: Wow. She's not messing around, she Nisi. She's not,
0: she's not. Mindy Kaling came calling again too, giving Nisi a recurring role in her Netflix series Never Have I Ever. And of course she also appeared in Hulu's Mrs. America as Florence Kennedy. It was a busy decade making extraordinarily memorable characters. Just she's just great. But in October 2019. Nisi took to Instagram to make an announcement. Dun, dun, dun. Quote, We believe in the beauty of truth. Always have. Our truth is that in this season of our lives, we are better friends than partners in marriage. Our union was such a gorgeous ride. And as we go our separate ways now, we feel fortunate for the love we share. Present tense. Thank you all out there for your support for us as a couple over the last eight years. We are grateful, Nisi and Jay. Okay. So. Yeah, it seems kind of like it was low drama. They just sort of mutually agreed.
1: It's not, we're not it. Yeah.
0: yeah. I mean, you assume that there was some drama getting there, but like, anyway. On the Red Table Talk, she said this of her relationship with Jay, quote, I feel like my second marriage, I wanted partnership and I also wanted to be married. And I met a man who wanted to be married and we said, let's give it a go. I don't have a mean or bad thing to say about anybody I married because they were all kind people. They were just different. So imagine this timing. I'm, I'm not even making this up. Their divorce was finalized on March 10th of 2020. Okay. California Governor Gavin Newsom announced a statewide stay-at-home order on March 19th. Aww. So poor Niecy had just nine days of the before times left as a legally single lady. And Bless no her one heart. No <laughs> But she was not, in fact, single by that point.
1: Oh, Really?
0: Really, in 2015, she had started following a singer named Jessica Betts on social media. And when Jessica realized that she had a famous follower, she reached out to see if Niecy would help promote her music. And the two became friends. But it was like a years-long process. Apparently the first time that Niecy was visiting Jersey City for work, which is where Jessica was living, like she didn't even call her to tell her she was in town. Like they were just, they were like, Acquaintances. Acquaintances. Yeah. Internet friends. Somewhere in the middle of divorcing Jay, Nisi, who had never been involved with a woman before, realized that she had big feelings for her friend. She said this on Red Table Talk. I met the most beautiful soul I had ever met in my entire life. And after spending time together, I was like, oh, honey, this fits me like an old pair of jeans I've had in my closet my whole life. There was something that made me feel like I don't want to be away from this energy.
1: I'm going to cry a little when you Aww. know, you know, yeah. that's, yeah, it fits. It just yeah. when everything fits.
0: Mm-hmm. My daughters were like, wait, what? But my children were able to meet Jessica before they knew we were dating. So they were able to meet her and form their own opinions about her as a person. And they were all like, oh my God, she's so cool. They were exchanging numbers. They already liked her. So perhaps inspired by the stakes of the pandemic there in ye old 2020, The two wasted no time in formalizing things, marrying on August 29th, 2020. Nisi has entirely embraced this newest role as a high-profile voice in the LGBTQ plus world. She hosted the GLAAD Media Awards in 2021 and declared on the show, I'm the newest member of the community! Yay! The couple are right now the first same-sex couple to appear on the cover of Essence magazine. It's, it's an
1: enormous deal. It's, it's a beautiful mm-hmm. cover as it well. It is.
0: It is. And the story inside is great. So in the interview inside, Jessica responds to a question about their social media feeds, which are full of photos of them cuddling and canoodling and being ridiculously cute together, saying that the interviewer kind of asks, like, is there is there some agenda to this? And she says there's no agenda. Quote, agendas feel very forced. If there's an agenda, it's that we're going to spread queer joy. The world needs it. Real talk. Nisi refers to Jessica as her her (laughs) husband. My husband. While Nisi herself is a wife, of course. (laughs) I'm going to let Nisi's words close us out on this one with gigantic queer halos all around. Quote, a lot of people said in the beginning, Nisi Nash has finally come out. And I said... Come out of where? I wasn't in anywhere. I wasn't living a sexually repressed life. I loved the boys I was with when I was with them. Now this is who I love. I wasn't living a lie or trying to make myself like a man. I liked him. I liked him real good. If I had to label myself in this moment, I would label myself with the term free. So best to you both. Oh, you're all, you're teared up. Best to you both, Nisi. And Jessica, welcome to Team Rainbow. We are delighted to have you. Welcome. Welcome.
1: Be sure to pick up your toaster oven on the way out of the party.
0: There has, she did mention that she has not gotten a gift basket yet.
1: We got to work on that.
0: I don't know how we can get, (laughs) I will look up her management.
1: Anyway, well done. that's my non-trashy
0: story. That's my happy story for a difficult world. It has been
1: kind of a difficult week. Mm Mm-hmm. We love y'all so much. Thanks for tuning in and listening to this episode of Trashy Divorces with the old school and the new school, both wonderful women who yep. nothing's breaking their stride, and yep. we can appreciate that. Yup. <laughs> We're going to be back with you on mm-hmm. Wednesday for an all new Wednesday Trashy Breakups edition. In the meantime, if you need more Trashy Divorces, you can find us at patreon.com. Slash Trashy Divorces. We're kicking off a new Trashy Royals series this week with the... The DeMaticis. Oh, Trashy. Of Italy. (laughs) Yeah, we've wrapped up the Romanovs. Time for a new season. Also, Love Letters 2, y'all, had some great stories this week that may interest you as Trashy Divorces listeners. We did a Love Letter 2, Zelda Fitzgerald and Florence Nightingale and The Rainbow Connection by Kermit the (laughs) Frog as well. Also, if you're into the New York High Society stuff, this is definitely the week to check out Done and Done. We're going to be continuing with the custody trial of poor little rich girl, Gloria Vanderbilt. Lots of stuff going on here at Hemlock. As always, we appreciate you tuning in and listening to the Daily Dose of Trash for the week.
0: Until we meet again, friends... Wash your hands in rainbows.
1: (laughs) Keep it trashy out there. Big love, everybody. Have a tremendous week. We'll see you on Wednesday. Bye. And thanks to you for listening. Trashy Divorces is a Hemlock Creatives production created and produced right here in Atlanta, Georgia by us, Stacey and Alicia.